0: Going very well. They asked me to leave, so I came back here to share the word with you all. Um, if uh, Dan or somebody over there, if you could turn the rest of the lights on, that would be a good thing. Bring these people into God's wonderful light. Um, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. We'll be looking at verse 4 today. We're going to be looking in detail of these giants of our faith. And as always, if you arrived here today without a Bible, we'd like for you to follow along. And there should be one in front of you underneath the seat. If there isn't, if there's anybody that needs a Bible, just raise your hands and the ushers will bring one to you. Is everybody good? There's one back there. Very good. Hebrews chapter 11, actually I'm gonna start reading from verse one, gonna do a little bit um, more than what I did last week as far as the introduction and then we'll get into the walk of Abel. Go ahead and stand for the reading of God's word. Chapter 11, starting at verse one, it says, now faith is the substance or the confidence of things hoped for, the evidence or the conviction of things not seen. he being dead, still speaks. Once again, Father, we just pray for your word that, Lord, I pray that you would prepare me after a busy weekend, that we would be able to focus upon the text that you have given us today, and that, Lord, not only would we be blessed, but we would be well taught and better prepared for the great work of ministry you've set before us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. When God looks at a life, when he looks at a believer's life, he's not looking at one that has been weighed down by works. That was my past religious experience, but what he's looking for, he's looking for a life that is filled with faith. The people that are listed here in chapter 11, if you were to make the evaluation just simply based upon their works, you wouldn't really come to the conclusion that anybody was really right before God, but it's God who looks at the heart and the faith in which we possess. Each person in chapter 11 had the good works that faith will produce, and so the focus and the sight of God is always upon the faith of man. Why? Because along with every good and godly thing that you have ever done, there's many things that would counteract that. I mean, just think of it, the, the list of your life, if we wrote down all of the good things that you've done, and, and, and even then they'd only be good in our sight, and then all the counteracting bad things that you've done, where would your list be on the heavy side? I mean, of all of the sins and all of the, we'll call them victories that you were able to achieve, it's going to be the sin that blots out the good. In, in Matthew chapter 5 verse 48 it says, Therefore you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. And the idea is if you're trying to get in with right standing before a holy God based upon what you're able to do, you better be, well, you better be doing it in perfection. You better be as good as God all the time. And we all know that that's simply not going to happen. So enter into the equation faith, saving faith. That day when you heard the gospel, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved the wretch like me. By grace you've been saved through faith. Faith is that avenue through which when you made the connection with God in which grace flowed. It's that which altered our life and it's that which made all the difference. I can look at my life, the history of my life, and I can see all the good intentions that I had. I could see the good works, and let's even take out the bad ones. But nonetheless, I still wasn't right before God. It wasn't until I actually heard the Word. Now, I had listened to the Word all of my life, but came that time when I actually heard the Word of God, and faith, faith blossomed. And as faith blossomed, I came into that saving relationship with Jesus Christ. So the Lord looks for a life that is focused on faith. Now, I've asked a question that I've asked it for the last three or four weeks. Some of you might be tired of hearing it, but I think it's very poignant to our study and our series of studies today. Today, as you examine your Christian life, are you holding fast to faith or are you slipping away? Everybody here is doing one or the other. Everybody here is holding fast and continuing to push forward, or you're slipping away, you're moving away. A good way of evaluation is, where were you a year ago? Are you serving the Lord to the same capacity? Have you grown in your understanding of the Word of God? If so, then you're holding fast to faith and you're moving on. But if you make that evaluation and, well, I've kind of slipped back. Or maybe I just stayed stagnant. Because see, if you're staying stagnant, that's a backslide as well. You're, you're slipping away. Nowhere in the scriptures are we told to stay stagnant, but we are to reach forward to that higher calling in Christ Jesus. Now, as I said, our couple study is going on this weekend, and I did the teachings up until now. I did Friday, I did two Saturday morning and one Saturday night. And that was my encouragement to the couples in their relationship with one another, but also through their relationship with one another to the Lord Jesus Christ, that they wouldn't take one another for granted. That they would continue to push forward and stay connected to the Lord. That they would understand the necessity of it and the value of it in the lives of those whom they have influence over, but for the benefit of one another as well. And it applies to us, a new, single person as well. That I would continue to, 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 to grasp on to that which Christ has grasped on to me for. Because God's got a plan and he's got a reason for each person here in your Christian life, but also in your attendance at this church. And again, it boils down to every part of the body is to be valued. And Jesus warned the church at Ephesus that they were slipping away In, in the book of Revelation. They were doing all of the good things. They were doing the religious things, the church things. But he said... And the Lord made reference to those things. But in Revelation chapter 2, verse 4, the Lord says, Nevertheless, even though you're doing a bunch of things, nevertheless, I have this against you, that you've left your first love. And the idea is you're not holding fast to faith because that's how we're connected to the love of God. They started to slip away. What does it mean to slip away? What it means to slip away is you're you're not praying so much anymore. Because, again, your faith has, has faded And as faith has faded, you just don't really, and maybe you won't even admit this, but you don't really recognize the power that is in prayer. You're not so much in God's word anymore because faith has faded. You don't see the power of God's word. You're not in church as you used to be in church, or at least active in that church. Why? Because you just don't really see the necessity of it. And as you see these things and as you're slipping away, you're entering into a dangerous place. And that's the purpose of the section of Scripture that we saw started in chapter 10 of the book of Hebrews and extending through into chapter 11. So entering into chapter 11, the writer is now illustrating what he had previously stated. We saw that last week in verse 38 of chapter 10. It says, now the just, those who are justified by God, those who are seen just as if they have never sinned, now the just shall live by faith, not by your works or your deeds. If anyone draws back, if anybody slips away, my soul has no pleasure in him. So what is it in your Christian life that brings pleasure in the sight of God? Your faith. Again, that saving faith, but also that faith every day that you continue to trust in God and move forward in the Lord. To be obedient to his call when you have the opportunity to share that which you believe. And you take that opportunity. Maybe you're scared to death, but nonetheless, you take the step. A lot of the people that we're going to be reading about here in chapter 11, they were very apprehensive. Your children right now in children's ministry are reading about Moses' calling. And God, he put him on the backside of the wilderness, but then one day appeared to him in a burning bush, and then he described in chapter 3 of the book of Exodus, that I have this burden, God is saying upon my heart, that my children are under oppression, and I'm going to deliver them. And it's as if he kind of gets in his face and... I'm going to use you. What happens when God gets in your face and says, I want to use you? I would imagine that would be pretty convicting. I would imagine all of your shortcomings are going to come flashing through your mind. If they don't, you need to check your heart as far as pride is concerned. But when God says, I'm going to use you, now keep in mind the capacity to which God was going to use him. He was sending him to Pharaoh. He was sending him to the most powerful man in the world, in the most powerful nation in the world. But the thing about it is, Moses was going in the most powerful person in all of the universe. He was going in the power of God. And and so that's where his faith was based. First of all, he didn't really want, Who am I? I don't speak well. I don't do well, Lord. There he is. Send somebody else. But God overcomes those things and God enables us in those things. Matter of fact, it's the imperfect people that God uses to glorify himself. As we were told in 1 Corinthians, it's the foolish things of the world. Now last week we laid a foundation for faith in the first three verses. Now today we're gonna look at our first subject of faith, Abel. But notice how the writer, when Abel, that's where he starts, that's the starting point. Notice how he goes back to the earliest example of faith And in going back to the earliest example of faith, and this is how this is to relate to us, he stops before Adam and Eve. And it wasn't just because the sin entered in, but Adam and Eve didn't really need to walk by faith. They walked by sight. Remember, they walked with God in the cool of the day. And so Abel, Abel is the first recorded person that we have that really walked strongly and walked in faith. Now, before we start, Just as last week we looked at what faith is, I just want to look over three things that faith is not, because there's a lot of bad information, there's a lot of misinterpretations that are out there. First of all, faith is objective, it is not subjective, it is not what you want it to be. Faith is not just simply pie in the sky, it's not what you hope for, but faith is truly that which is set by God, well, what God has set before us, it's what faith is to be based upon. Faith cannot be a variable outlook on life grounded in one's feelings, desires, or opinions. Your feelings and your desires and opinions have nothing to do with it. Matter of fact, as we see feelings, desires, and opinions sprinkled in in chapter 11 with the various people, those were all things that needed to be overcome. Those who are of the cults may have faith, and they do have faith, But what do they have faith from? What what is it derived from? There's one cult that is derived from a burning in the bosom. But just because your bosom burns, it doesn't mean that what you believe in is true. Faith in something false is going to result in a collapsed life or a collapsed belief system. Faith that is based upon truth, based upon truth and based upon reality will always be rewarded with a tangible hope. And again, we're, we're looking at the people in, in Hebrews chapter 11. But have you looked at the people in your life? The people in your life who have influenced you? There should be people of influence in your life. People who have walked by faith and stood strong in faith and grasped on and never let go. I knew some very impressive people who have grasped on, but they slipped away. But I've seen the people who have held on, and they've been an inspiration Matter of fact, it all lends towards the reality and the truthfulness of what we believe in. Our faith in God, through His, His Word, rewards us with great hope for our future that in the midst of all that we see that is going on today, we continue to stand strong in what we believe in because our hope, faith trusting in God for today, hope trusting in God for tomorrow, our, our faith and our hope isn't in this world. We know even one day... It's all going to go away, and we are too, but we're going to go to a good place. We're going to be in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as we experience the hardship that this world offers, as we experience the difficulty, the things that we don't understand, we cling to that which we do understand, the word of God and Jesus Christ as he is presented. 2 Timothy 3.15, that from your childhood you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Jesus Christ. Secondly, faith is not credulity. And what I mean by that, if you don't know that word, I didn't know it before, but it's not a Pollyanna faith. It's not that, well, I'm just going to have faith, and I'm just going to be happy, and we're just going to skip through life hand in hand, singing, this is the day, this is the day that the Lord has made. This type of faith is the attitude of someone who will accept something as true apart from evidence, simply because they earnestly desire it to be true. Well, that's not faith, and that makes absolutely no sense. Our faith needs to have teeth to it, the teeth of reality. Your faith should be able to be examined by you and you should be able to see where it was examined by others and to be able to stand the test of time and the test of truth. If there's anything here that contradicts something else, then everything else falls apart like dominoes. And so what it is that you have put your faith in needs to be strong and it needs to be solid. I've pointed this out before, but our beliefs are built upon first a concept and that you would consider the concept. Well, somebody somewhere along the line presented the concept of Christianity to you. They shared the gospel with you, and it's something that you needed to consider. Now, after consideration, you would ask for facts. Show me the reality of this concept working in real time. Show me how this works in a person's life. And so you would look at believers and you would examine their lives and you would look to see, well, is there any difference in them than there is in me? You would look at history and see the course of history and and want to examine Christianity and how it has fit into all of history. So you consider the concept, you examine the, the, the facts, and then you look at the evidence that Jesus Christ, Well, what they told me, he entered in. He entered into humanity and claimed to be God. And, and, and those who were with him claimed that he, he was God. He was nailed to a cross and they said that because of that, whoever would put their faith in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And so you would consider these things. And so if that was true, ought there not to have been changes that happened? Ought there not to have been changes in the course of history? Well, every time we just look at the dates on our calendar, the date is set according to the coming of Christ. We see things that change drastically during that time that continue to reverberate through even to our day today. You have this one man with 12 other guys that drew some other followers in this insignificant country of Israel, and they set the world on its ear. And it's just an amazing concept. I mean, Rome is in power at that time. And nobody was allowed to rear their heads in the sight of Rome in anything that contradicted the Roman gods or the Roman way. But here we had Christianity that was able to thrive. But also, it stood this test of time. And that the changed life of the believer, it continues to work a witness even today. And so, consider the concept, examine the facts, look at the evidence, and taking the most reasonable leap of faith. There always has to be some sort of leap of faith. Now, if I came and I told you, did you see how Art played that guitar? I could put him under the table. One day, I'm going to have him out. We're going to have a battle of the guitarist out here. Well, you would say, well, that's amazing, Pastor Mike. I, I never knew that you could do that. But that's kind of a big leap of faith for me to take. And so that being the case, Pastor Mike, let's see you play a guitar. Well, about the only thing I know how to do is to pluck out Mary Had a Little Lamb in actuality. And so that's too big. So somebody that can pluck out Mary Had a Little Lamb and somebody that can play as we just experienced, well, that's too big of a leap of faith for me to take to think that you're going to be able to play him under the table. But some people have ignored the evidence. Joseph Smith, an angel, he said, gave him the Book of Mormon in which he illuminated through seer stones. And their whole basis is if you work hard enough, you're going to become a god. Now that's just all of it just all whittled down, but that's too big for me. That's just too big for me. And I know so many other facts about it, and most of you do, but it's too big of a leap of faith. I'm never going to buy into that. Christianity, i got 6,000 years of history. Jesus Christ entering in at a point of history, as I mentioned before. The human race was altered at that point. I see the individual lives that have been changed, the infallible Word of God that's never been proven to be contradictive. I look at all these evidences and that leap. Well, for me to buy in, to me becoming a God, to be the same as me jumping from here and landing in the sound booth in the back. I can't jump that far. That's too big of a leap of faith. But from what I've seen in Christianity, it does require a leap of faith. I'm going to have to accept some of those details by faith, but at some point in my life, I was willing to make that jump. I was willing to display the faith that was necessary for the purpose of entering in. In Acts chapter 17, verse 6, But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some brethren of the rulers of the city crying out. They were looking for Paul. Those who have turned the world upside down have come here too. These men who bought into Christianity, who'd taken that leap of faith, and as they took that leap of faith and brought it into the world, God continued to bless God continues to do so today as I see lives change at the couple's retreat, praying for people and seeing tears come down their face. And it's just an amazing thing to see people convicted by the word of God. We, we just had our baptism, what, a few weeks ago, a month ago, whatever it was. Why would people drive over to somebody's house and let me push them underwater? That makes no sense on the surface until we understand the reality of what baptism is and and all that it symbolizes. And it's in all of that that I see the reality of what God does. It's not Pollyanna just receiving it just to receive it. There's facts here. There's something concrete. And then thirdly, what faith is not, it's not optimism. It's not the little train that could theology. This is not faith based upon the power of positive thinking. In actuality, there's no such thing. Since the source of all good things is God, our positive thinking has nothing to do with moving God's hand. You need to be a positive person, but the positive person that you are needs to be based upon God and who God is and what God has called us to do. In James 1, 16 through 18, it says, Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So here we are, we're introduced to Abel says, by faith, and so this is one of the earliest occurrences of faith. I'd say it's the earlier, earliest occurrence of faith. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. We know Cain's his brother. Through which he obtained witness that he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts, and through it, he being dead, still speaks. And so, Abel exhibited faith in the Lord. How did he do that? through proper worship. Now, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Genesis, all the way through to Genesis chapter 4. We're going to spend the rest of the time pretty much there. I'll refer back to Hebrews, but go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 4, starting at verse 1. Now, we see in the previous chapter where sin had entered in, and God had given great promises to Adam and Eve. We know that we're going to be fulfilled in Messiah concerning her seed and how God was going to bruise the head of the enemy and and all of these things. But can you imagine? You've got Adam and Eve. No children have been born, so they don't even understand the concept They don't really know all that's going to go on. The only thing that they really understand and know that they've been separated from their relationship with God because of sin. And then all of a sudden, I shouldn't say all of a sudden, because it probably worked through to nine months, they have a child. They have a child. Verse 1, Now Adam knew Eve, that means he had sexual relations with his wife. He knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Kind of a funny expression, but the verbiage, the idea here is, I have acquired the man from the Lord. Her mindset was, this is it. Just as God told us that from my seed, from me, there's going to come this deliverer. And so she's thinking, She's thinking, as we all think when our children are born, we all have high hopes and aspirations for them. This is the one. This is the one that's going to make the difference. Well, we know he's going to be the one, well, of so many that in actuality have the nature of their parents, that sinful nature. And so Adam and Eve thought that Cain was going to be the fulfillment of God's promise in chapter 3, verse 15. And so we have these desires that God is going to immediately act in our lives. But faith... Faith at times needs to be well waited for. And so she just went through the pain of childbirth as she was promised part of the curse. And now she sees that God has brought forth from her seed this one, and she's thinking that this is the one. Verse 2. Then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. In these two brothers we see a contrast. We see the contrast of one who we know now, because we're reading about him in Hebrews chapter 11, who has faith in God and one who does not have faith in God. He's got faith in what he's able to do. In Cain, we have the child that was born with such high hopes, but we see his rebellious nature. And now we see him living the curse. The curse? In Genesis chapter 3 if you look at verse 17 then to Adam he said because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you saying you shall not eat it cursed is the ground for your sake for in toil you shall eat it all the days of your life well that is what Cain decided to do that's what he is fulfilling is this curse Now in Abel, we have a child that seems to line up with man's original uh, promise. Not man's promise, but God's promise to man to have dominion over life. You see this in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. Here's a, here's a, a young man, and I don't know how the word came to him. I mean, it had to come through Adam and Eve. But he's well aware of what God had called and commanded his parents to do, and he's embracing that. He's not embracing the curse like his brother is. He's embracing what God had called. Now, I wonder why. I wonder why. Was it assigned to him by dad? Uh, who knows? I don't know. It doesn't, it doesn't really say. But looking at the attitude of him, he, here, here's one that I'm going to continue to trust in God. And, and, and the word of God, that as it has come to me from an outside agency, from my father, I'm going to continue on and to keep that. And because he did that, his worship was acceptable to the Lord. And then the other one, you know what? Dad talked about the garden, how good things used to be, and here I am, I'm stuck with this hard ground. Forget about the sheep and the animals. I'm I'm just going to grow, and whatever I'm able to extend my sweat and my work, it's that which I'm going to embrace. And so we see the contrast between the two. And Abel, he went out of his way to please God, which means he has faith in God. What were sheep used for? What were sheep used for? Well, previously we saw in chapter 3, verse 21, it was an acceptable sacrifice. It says, Also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. Now, I pointed this out before, but I'll remind you once again today. Here's Adam and Eve. Before sin, death had had, had yet to enter in. They did not know what death was. Now, I've been in the room when people have gone to be with the Lord i'm a pastor i get asked sometimes to be there praying with the family if they're disconnecting somebody off a machine or whatever it might be i was there in my dad's death death is an ugly thing even the most beautiful of believers just the the process of death remember when lazarus died it brought tears to the eyes of the lord when he saw this hardship that death brought and so there's adam and eve and what if adam and eve had stuck all over them they got these leaves. I, I think they're leaves from the tree of which they ate, and so they, they've got these tr- these leaves stuck all over them. They're trying to hide their shame. Remember, they were hiding in the bushes earlier, and so now God is going to give them an acceptable covering that we see that how this points to the Lord Jesus Christ, and so I can imagine what God must have done, going to Adam and Eve, bring the sheep, bring those two sheep again. Never seeing death, not probably not. I can't even say probably. They never have a clue what death is. And as I stated how ugly death is, just think if God would have had them hold those those lambs and brutally kill them before their eyes. Can you imagine the terror to see death for the very first time and to see that ugliness for the very first time? Now, why would I say this? Because that's how all of the sacrifices were always to be offered, to hold this animal down and to cut its throat. And and the reason why I say it that way, and I believe the reason it was done that way, it's because since you sinned, there had to be the covering of blood. And the only way to get a covering of blood, something has to die. In actuality, it could have, should have been Adam and Eve, but because of the grace and the mercy of God, it was that animal instead of Adam and Eve. But nonetheless, they still needed to understand the terror of what they had done. And this animal, this dear, innocent animal, had to die because of my sins. And then what did God do? He, he took away their their efforts and their works at trying to, to to hide, shield themselves, or shield their sin from God. Took away the, the leaves that they had covered themselves with. And then he gave the proper covering of the, the skins. And so here we have Abel and he's tending the sheep and he offers the sheep and that's the acceptable sacrifice which has already been displayed look at verse 4 and back in chapter 4 abel also brought of the firstborn of the flock and of their fat and the lord respected abel and his offering so this is what god desired Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, we're a couple of weeks away from that, but it says, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. So we have one brother, Cain, it's all about his works, but that's not what God's into. You have the other brother, Abel, it's about what is acceptable in the sight of God. So in faith, I am going to offer this. Without faith, it's impossible to please him, to please God, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And the idea is those who seek him according to how he is to be sought. And that's what Abel is doing here. He's offering the proper sacrifice, whereas Cain was simply discharging a duty. Abel's actions were righteous, and Cain's actions were evil. We are told as such, we have our New Testament commentary on this area of Scripture in 1 John 3.12. It says, Not as Cain, who was of the wicked one, and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his, because Cain's works were evil, and his brothers were righteous. We're talking in the sight of God. Verses 4 and 5, Abel also brought of the first... firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering, and Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. And the relationship with Cain and Abel, we will see the pattern that started then and continues today. It's the contrast of God's people being persecuted by the ungodly. It's that conviction that comes about. It's a conviction that comes about because of the reality and the knowledge of truth. Now, if the Word of God is true, if, if what we read in the Bible, and we believe it is, if it's true, and as we receive that, and as we have been told to go out and to preach the Word so that others may come into this truth by faith, you think either one of two things are going to happen. The way is going to be paved, and we're going to go out, and everybody's going to be saved. But that's not how it works, is it? Matter of fact, it seems like those who get saved are of the minority. And so we see the reality again in chapter three of Genesis where the evil one entered in and those who are in opposition. Now I bring, it, bring the concept back to you. Why are they in opposition to us? If they don't believe it, why could they care less? I can see how they would mock us, but where, was, where does the anger come from? Where does the anger... The anger comes from the most original sin, which is pride. It's pride, and and it's wanting to hold fast in what we're able to do. And and, and there's just something so much easier if you just believe that you'll be acceptable before God, or accepted in the eyes of God. But man is prideful and he wants to hold on what he's able to do and he's under the sway of the wicked one and he's spiritually dead because he's so caught up in himself and he's so unwilling to surrender himself for the glory of God. For my father, God had to bring him to the threshold of death before he was willing to die to his pride. My, my, my father, a man who was, by the world standards, ultra-successful, able to retire early. My mother, my dad died back in 1998. My mother is still living off his, you know, what, what he has been able to accumulate in his business. Again, very successful is my point, but the reality of the matter, God had to bring them to the point through cancer of death, and I had that opportunity to share the Lord with them so that he would get saved. God had to destroy the pride of his life, and the pride of my father's life is what he was able to do, and God brought him to a point where he was able to do absolutely nothing for his condition, and it was the best thing that ever happened to him, and God saved his soul, and so we see the reality of this conflict that was going on then and continues today. I've told you the story before. Uh, there was one point when my father told me he didn't want me to share any of the Bible anymore. Again, what, what's the big deal? Well, I know what the big deal was because it convicted him at that point, but God brought him to the point that he needed to go to. So Cain, you look at Cain and you can say, well, how fair is this? Well, Cain could have offered a lamb, but he would have had to humble himself. Now, he would have had to come to the conclusion that I know what I'm doing is good. There's nothing wrong with growing what he was growing, But he knew that that was not acceptable to the Lord, so he would have had to humble himself, go to his younger brother and get one of his little lambs in order to make the proper sacrifice, and that's what he should have done. But pride would not allow him to do that. Man today still tries to approach God his way based upon his works and according to his own heart, but unfortunately, it always comes to the same results. It's something that is unacceptable in the sight of God. See, the problem, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. And if there's no forgiveness of sins, you cannot approach God for the purpose of worshiping God. Cain did not deal with his sin, not not this sin and that sin and the list and all that, his sinful nature. In order to properly worship God, you have to deal with your sinful nature. You do that by faith in the gospel as it is preached to have that right relationship with Jesus Christ It's then that you're able to enter into the proper worship of the Lord. Verses 6 through 8, So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door and its desire is for you. You relate to that? We can use a different title for that, temptation. Temptation. Have you ever been tempted? If you're saying no, then you've just been tempted to lie. We all know what temptation is. And so we should all relate that it lies at the door and its desire is for you. And so there's this reality of the temptation. But God has told them, but you should rule over it. Now, the only way that I can properly rule over it is through my relationship with the Lord and the power of the Holy Spirit. And so you need to enter into the proper worship of God It says, now Cain talked with Abel his brother and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and killed him. And there's where the balance lies. You can die to yourself or you can kill the source. And and what he's trying to do is he's trying to quiet the conviction. And the only way is to either kill off the source of the conviction or die to self. Cain took the wrong way. He took the way of the flesh because why what was he used to doing he was used to always acting out in the flesh and as he acted out in the flesh he killed that which was at least a source that was able to save his souls now before we go looking down our nose at Cain look at the parallels that we all have with Cain God sees us in whatever state we are in and God is always willing to meet us there He was willing to meet the man exactly where he was. In verse 7, God ministered to Cain so that Cain could have had right standing with God. But what did Cain do? He did the same thing that you did in your unsafe state. He ignored God. He continued to ignore God. I'm sure the conviction was there. That's why he killed his brother. But he ignored God. I tried to approach God in certain aspects of my life, but only based upon my own terms that God never would bless it just as he didn't bless Cain. God... God will change us, but he gives us the choice of change. The direction is set before us. Choose this day whom you will serve. Secondly, Cain was angry. The times that I was angry with God or the times that I was not in his will, and maybe a better term would be frustrated. Frustrated because God wouldn't get on my page. But the thing about it is God is gracious and he was waiting for me to get on his page. He was waiting for me to enter into that proper relationship based upon what he has laid out before me, based upon what he has laid out before us. Cain was angry because the fault was his own. Biggest enemy when it comes to salvation isn't so much the devil, it's ourselves. Thirdly, God was God has always given us a way out of our troubles. He says, if you do well, if you do what is righteous, if you do what is holy, will you not be accepted? And he should have considered that, and he should have taken that way. perfect example of God's long-suffering is how God suffered long with you. How, how many times did you hear the gospel? How many times was it presented and you refused it? I can remember flat out lying to the person who presented the gospel to me time and time again. I'm a Catholic, well that was true, but I I go to the Catholic Bible study, that was false. I I just used certain things of my life to kind of shield off those things. Now the conviction was there. Uh, It was in 1998, I bought a Toyota Celica, it was a used car. I had this gas guzzler, and that's when the gas lines were going on, gas shortages were going on and all, and I wasn't saved at that time. And I bought this Toyota Celica from this guy, and it, it, he was kind of weird because, um, you know, he didn't want to negotiate. He says, this is just what I want. And, you know, I just want you to be blessed with this. I mean, what does that mean? But didn't really care what it meant, and price was good. And, and he goes, I just want you to be, if you have any problems, let me know. I'm just thinking, this guy's weird. And then I realized, oh, he's one of those Jesus freaks. And and so I brought it home, and and again, I'm a a practicing Catholic, and he's got, and I can't remember what the bumper sticker he had on the window, but it was a Jesus bumper sticker. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? Because I've got this Jesus bumper sticker on the back of my car, and I don't want a Jesus bumper sticker on the back of my car. But my Catholicism wouldn't let me scrape it off. It it was like, if I scrape that off, I'm going to go to hell. And and so what am I going to do? I I can't drive around with that. And I probably shouldn't drive around with that the way I was living my life at the time. And so what I did was I just crossed my fingers, held my breath, and I scraped it off. I didn't get cast into hell. As a matter of fact, later I got saved, and that was one of the things that the Lord used. But you see the attitude that is there. And, and, and so God gives us warnings, and how many warnings did he give you? How many opportunities did he give you to, 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 for people that came in to share the gospel so that you would receive the gospel? And again, in that, we need to see how God suffered long with us all. And finally, God gave a warning. Once again, look at verse 7. If you do well, if you do according to the will of God, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Sin is around the corner for the person trying to please God according to his own terms. And so what we have here is we've got Abel, this man who, who, who accepted the word of God. who who understood to a degree, not in detail, but the things that he understood and the things that he was accepted of, accepting of, they they led and they pointed towards the coming of Jesus Christ. It It was gonna be thousands of years before Christ came upon the scene, but God started the witness back then through faithful men, later on women, who just did what they knew was right in the sight of God who set their pride aside and just wanted to glorify God through, their, through just simply being humble and, and simply being right based upon what they knew was right in the sight of God. And these are the ones who have pleased God. This is the example that God has chosen to include back in Hebrews chapter 11, that we would look at it today and we would understand and know what is acceptable in the sight of God. So have you examined your worship The worship of the Lord. First of all, you need to see the privilege that your worship of the Lord is. It's not, our worship presented from this stage is not for the purpose of entertainment, but God has given gifts of beautiful music and abilities and all of these things. But the purpose of that is is to lead us into worship. When we worship God, when we present worship from this stage, both today and when our teams are here, it's not for you, it's for God. And the idea is that you join in And we express our worship to the risen Lord. And it's based upon, well, the instruction that God has given us. Now, we could tell Abel, I understand why your sacrifice was accepted, because it's a picture of the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ. See, when you were offering those lambs, Abel, the idea was you were offering Jesus Christ because you were a sinner. And it was necessary to have the spilling of blood for the purpose of covering sin. And it's because of that, as you offered that sacrifice, your worship was acceptable to God. And it's the same with me. Now I don't need to go out and kill a lamb anymore because the sacrifice was offered once and for all. But because of that, my worship is acceptable as well. And see, we're all in the same boat. We're all children of God through faith in Jesus Christ based upon the blood of the lamb. And it's why we're going to have intimate fellowship with God. You got homework this week. Read Revelation chapter 5. You see that heavenly choir that we're all going to be a part of. And what is the focus of the worship that exists in Revelation chapter 5? Jesus Christ as he takes possession of the title deed of the earth. And it's all because he prevailed. Where did he prevail? He prevailed upon the cross of Christ. And so it's that which we look back to today. It's that which people like Abel were looking forward to, not understanding in detail. But you know what? That is mentioned, and you are mentioned here as well. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, I'll close with this. It says, verse, I'll start at verse 37, They were stoned, they were sawn into, speaking of people who suffered for the Lord, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in the deserts and the mountains and the dens and the caves of the earth. And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise Christ had yet to come. Verse 40, God having provided something better for us that they should not be made perfect apart from us. And that better thing is the sacrificial death in the Lord Jesus Christ. Just as earlier I told you what to not have faith in, that's what we are to have faith in. The evidence is there. The proof is there. It's infallible and it is definite and it is presented to all humanity so that all men would come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, all of mankind. Father, once again, we just thank you, God, that you give us this word that is so powerful. It's so real. It demands to be examined. It demands even to be challenged. And I just pray, Father, that as we look into it, that we would see the reality of the strengthening of our faith. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would bless us for continuing on in the study of your word, that you would continue to use us, Father, for your glory, that, Lord, this faith that we have embraced, I pray, Lord just as we received it from somebody else speaking it to us, that we would be a people who are faithful in speaking our faith to others as well. And so, Lord, just be glorified through our humble actions, through our humble words, that, Father, as you use simple people, we present ourselves to your service and for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you all stand, please? I'm going to be in the back after service.